Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with your ultimate preview of WWE Survivor Series. That's right, getting over his back just a couple hours after Raw went off the air to break down everything that happened from WWE's weekly television shows and preview its upcoming pay-per-view on Sunday, Survivor Series. We have an absolutely loaded show for you today, and as I've been saying, an absolutely loaded month of programming coming up for you on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. I believe this is episode 94 that we're already at, which means we are chugging along to number 100, which will probably go down in the first week of December. I have a very special episode planned for number 100 and a ton of great things to close out 2020, including special interviews, including year-end awards, of which all of you will be able to contribute. It's going to be a lot of fun around these getting over parts as we finish out what has been, for the show, a great year because it's the first year we've ever had a wrestling podcast called Getting Over, but uh, for everyone else, probably not that great of a 2020. So this year needs to end, but we are going to end it in memorable style. That is the ultimate goal. With that, we have a lot to get to on today's show. Not going to waste too much time on the intro. Yeah, there's business to take care of as usual. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating interview. Let us know how much you love the show. Tell all your friends about the show. Look, uh, let's be honest. The last two weeks, not been great in terms of number of reviews that have come in, new reviews, uh, in terms of listenership due to some things that were happening in the country. People have been distracted. We're back in wrestling zone right now. We're headed to Survivor Series. We got a couple big shows in December, a couple big uh, matches scheduled across WWE, NXT coming up this week, AEW in a couple of weeks. There's a lot of great wrestling, and the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is going to be with you throughout. In addition to leaving us those five star ratings and reviews, head on over to Twitter, please, and give us a follow at Getting Overcast. It's where we release every show as soon as it's made available. We talk about wrestling all week. And you can also send in your DMs and your questions for the show, which we will read on air as appropriate. So with all of that, we're going to get into this very special WWE edition of Getting Over. i got to bring in my co-host. His name is Vintage Chris Vanini. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Vanini. Of course, you can also follow me personally at Silverstein Adam. Not that I'm saying to do that. Chris, uh, look, I'm going to go ahead and kind of preview Survivor Series before we actually get to the preview like this. There may not be a great reason for these matches to be happening on Survivor Series, but WWE does seem to be working almost overtime in some ways to make the television shows leading into Survivor Series really good. I think on Monday night, to my surprise, was probably the best Raw we've gotten in more than two months. And... I think that you have to ultimately respect it when they give you a solid go-home show of that caliber. Well, I mean, it's it's the question every year. Is, is Survivor Series still one of the big four pay-per-views or is it not? And, and I have to say, they have made this Survivor Series feel like it's a big deal because everything happening, almost everything, happening on both shows is all geared toward this pay-per-view. And they've done it in a little bit different way. We haven't had the invasions back and forth like they typically do. So, you know, I, I've said it a few weeks. If you kind of ignore 
the why this started, they've actually told some pretty good stories within their shows, across the shows, and it has me excited for the show. Even if I don't really know why it matters, they have gotten it across to me that it matters to them, and that makes me care about right. it more. That's a really good point. The wrestlers have gotten across that it, that yes. it matters. And, and yeah, I mean, I still think there's flaws in the Survivor Series build, and we will talk about those in our ultimate preview. But at least in terms of the development of storylines and development of, hey, you know, there's a pay-per-view coming up at the end of the month, and we all want to prove that we're the best. It doesn't feel so much like it did during the... I think it was the SmackDown invasion where, you know, Becky Lynch get, got punched by Nia Jax and that whole thing happened. Like the rival, I don't feel the rivalry, but I feel like each individual show wants to win for their show. Does that like, does that, does that make sense the way? Well, like, I, don't feel I, the, I, feel, I, don't, I don't feel the hatred for the opposite brand. I feel the pride for the individual brand. Yeah, I, I don't even think it's pride for Raw or SmackDown. I think it's simply pride as in they want to win for the sake of wanting to win. You know, I like AJ's handing out the Raw t-shirts, but nobody really cares about them. They're, they're not talking about winning for Raw like Stephanie and Shane are leading things or anything like that. It's more just they know they have a match. They want to win especially if they're on the team or if they're the champion, they want to prove they're the better champion, like Roman calling uh, Raw the inferior champion or something like that. So it's it's really just kind of been a basic pride type of thing, and it's worked, I think. I think so as well. So we are going to talk WWE Survivor Series Ultimate Preview style at the end of this episode. There are always timestamps in every single show that we do to let you know where we're going to bounce around. But there were things that happened on Raw and SmackDown that did not factor in to the Survivor Series build or the Survivor Series card itself. So that's generally where we start on these shows. And I would be remiss, by the way, since we are still in the intro portion of the show, if I did not remind you all that not only do we do ultimate previews for pay-per-views, on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we also do instant analysis. So Sunday, as soon as Survivor Series is off the air, we will be back instant analysis style to break down every single thing that happens at WWE Survivor Series. But we're not there yet. We're still in preview mode. So again, that will be at the end of the show. We'll break down all six matches and the storylines going into them one by one. We still have some other stuff to talk about, though. So we're going to start in the main event. And in terms of WWE storylines and, and matches, there was really only one for me that deserved main event spotlight this week. And it was what we believe to be the conclusion of the Seth Rollins, Ray Mysterio telenovela saga that has lasted the better part of seven months. Now, <laughs> is, is, it have, real, is this real? Is it really possibly over? I don't even know if still, I believe it yet. And it's still not really over, but it's just like the, the Ray Mysterio part, it seems like is over, right? So they ended it with a no holds barred match between Mysterio and Rollins. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But what I want to talk about first, and look, I was very critical Wednesday night, uh, sorry, Thursday on Thursday show of both NXT and AEW. I got a message. I'm, I'm too critical of AEW for coming out of a pay-per-view and de delivering us a load of crap episode. I'm sorry. I'm going to crap on it if, it if it deserves to be crapped on. But I, I'm going to crap on this a little bit because I think, Chris, I don't know anyone who really does wrestling commentary who has been as patient and accepting of this storyline as you and I. We've found flaws. 
and we feel like it's been stretched too long. But at the same time, we've largely found it entertaining and believe that even when they're extending it, they're continuing to tell a story in a telenovela, soap opera style situation. Not every storyline, even long-term ones, needs to be succinct and very focused. And this one, it did seem like they were taking us in a direction with Seth Rollins manipulating Murphy and Aaliyah and this whole thing happening. But they just go ahead, and, and this is the criticism part, they go ahead and announce the conclusion to the storyline, the final chapter in this feud, one hour before SmackDown went on the air. 7 p.m. Eastern, they tweet out that this match is happening. There was no promotion last week. There was no promotion for it during the week. Let's say they decided Wednesday, hey, and, and promote it for a couple days. We've been watching this feud, Chris, for seven months. It's transpired over numerous pay-per-views. Dominic got involved and was maybe the bright spot of the entire thing for a long period of time. And then they tell us at 7 p.m. on a Friday night, it's ending on a regular SmackDown with no lead up, no build. I just don't know what sense that makes for WWE marketing, for storytelling, trying to pop ratings. They had a, a really you know, great opening match the week prior, Sasha Banks and Bayley, that, that lifted the entire show and got it a huge rating for a SmackDown in this era. And they just kind of said, all right, yeah, we're going to give you the match here. And it honestly bothered me before we even got to the segment itself, it bothered me. Yeah, I, I think the last couple of weeks with, with the number of stories, there's been clear there was no plan and then a decision was just kind of made and they went with it. And, you know, we think about how Sasha Bailey kind of just ended and 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 now, now this is just ending with, with zero hype to, to build up with it. You have a, a title change that kind of got came out of nowhere after a couple of weeks. So, yeah, I, this isn't the ideal way to do it. I, I had wondered if they should just do it at Survivor Series, even if it's not a cross promotion thing. I mean, this this feud spans multiple shows. I mean, they both change shows. I, I think you could have done it; would have been fine. I don't know if announcing it as the finale helps the rating or not. It's a go home show anyway, you know. So it was. Yeah, kind of like kind of like the the Sasha Bailey uh can Sasha Defender title storyline. It just kind of they're just they're done with it and uh, apparently and moving out of the next thing without a, after months and months and months of story. Yeah, it's kind of a weird way to just end it on on, on a dime like that. Like I know Rey Mysterio was injured for a while and unable to compete. That's why we got Dominic. That's part of why they extended it. And this match was good. We'll talk about that. But it's just it just feels like, why didn't they just do an angle on that show and promote next week that it ends? Sure. And then promote Seth Rollins Murphy for the following week, because that's what they're promoting now, that next week's Rollins and Murphy, and that's going to be the finale, and, and we'll get there. It, but I, I just, I, I don't get it. Like, on some, so on some occasions, they really planned out things well. They planned out a WWE championship match for Raw in the main event. They gave it 30 minutes, and we will that'll be the final thing we talk about on today's show. But it banged, right? Like, like they, they yeah. delivered. If they said, hey, Rollins Mysterio, this has to come to an end. And they told us, even on Wednesday during the week, your main event for SmackDown, the end of the Seth Rollins-Rey Mysterio, and they put 
a couple different social media promotions out there and and they spent time during SmackDown early in the show, just like they did with McIntyre and Orton, with a couple video packages of everything that's happened. And they gave it to us in the main event and they built it up and it ended the exact same way. Then right. that, that's what I like. That's it's fine. Orton McIntyre is exactly what I was thinking. It was announced one week ahead of time, but they ended up giving you enough build. So you can you could announce this week, Mysterio Rollins next week is going to be the final deal. Uh, it, maybe you don't want to overlap those stories. I don't know. But but give us like just one episode of build to explain why this is a big deal before we kind of go into it kind of at the drop of a hat like that. Yeah. So that's my frustration with this. Ultimately, it's really more of a WWE frustration than these guys, because these all, these guys all worked hard and almost every single time they were on screen. Actually, no, honestly, every single time they were on on screen, they worked hard to tell this story. And it was ultimately a good story. But to see it just frustratingly end. And you mentioned like Sasha and Bailey for it to just kind of stop. It's just like you want that final moment to be a big time resolution, right? Like just think back, like Drew McIntyre and even Brock Lesnar, they had all those feuds and promos back and forth, you know, the Claymores and and the Royal Rumble, they built that up and then Drew beat him definitively and it was over. That's what you want to happen. It just feels like if you were going to end this, end it on Raw before the brand switch, instead you brought all these people over at the same time in the draft. And now they're now all stuck together on SmackDown, but this feud's now going to end. So I think it just goes back into that conversation that we had around the draft time, the season premieres, Survivor Series. The scheduling of all this was very poorly done because ideally what you would want to happen is you would want this storyline to end and then Rollins to remain on Raw and the Mysterios and maybe Murphy to go to SmackDown or vice versa. Yeah. So I just, I just think it, it's, it's messy, but... That doesn't make it bad. It just means it was poorly executed. So I'm not trying to rain on the parade before we actually talk about it. I just kind of wanted to provide my opinion there. So yeah, I, I will well, say that I'm also glad that it's over. I, it's been entertaining at times. Yeah, of man. course. I just, I wanted it to end. I wish it kind of uh, got a, a climactic end, but it, it does appear to be over. Yeah, it does. So we'll get into it right now. So Mysterio opens the show, he cuts an impassioned promo that hit all the right notes, to be honest. But it was also blatantly obvious during the promo, he was wearing a mask with a removable eye patch. Like the thing was hanging off of his eye. So I saw it the entire time. Uh, They did air a good package, like I kind of wanted them to leading up to it. But as I said, crazy that a blow off to a feud wasn't even in the main event. I just didn't feel like they did it justice. Uh, As far as the match goes, it was pretty much a banger. Rollins vertically suplexed Mysterio into the announce table, drilled him with the steel steps. Mysterio did that slide out of the ring that he does, uh, splashing Rollins, who was laying on top of a step. That was an awesome spot. Rollins caught a Mysterio Hurricanrana, powerbombed him into a table and off the middle rope. But Mysterio kicked out a 2.5. Rollins tried to gouge his eyes out again with the chair. So Dominic intervened for the first time, pulled Rollins out of the ring. Rollins starts beating up in Dominic. That allowed Murphy to get involved and run down. Mysterio catches Rollins with a dropkick through a chair. You think Murphy, or, or they wanted you to think Murphy, was going to be on Rollins' side again, hand him the chair. But they telegraphed from last week, 
blatantly that Murphy was going to turn on Rollins. And you all, we knew that would be the end of the storyline anyway, but they really did telegraph it for us. Sometimes predictable things are good. You're, I, you're jumping ahead. I had the soundbite pulled up. We're going to get there. But sometimes predictable things are good. So Murphy turns on Rollins, blindsides him with a flying knee. Murphy dips out of the ring. Mysterio then, for the first time at least I can remember, and I'm sure it's happened before, bots is a 619. So he has to go back and do it again. Hits a 619, does the frog splash, honoring Eddie Guerrero, I believe, on his birthday, um, and pins Rollins in a no-holds-barred match to effectively end the feud. After the match, Mysterio told Rollins, um, sorry, told Murphy to face him like a man, offered his hand. They shook hands. Dominic did the same. They shook hands. And all is good. The family's hugging. Murphy, uh, uh, Mysterio now approves of Murphy being with his much younger daughter. And that is the end of this rivalry. So the finish is what I expected, as a certain Paul Levesque might say. Sometimes predictable things are good. Sometimes predictable things are good. After last week with Murphy backstage telegraphing the entire thing. But again, it had to eventually end somehow. So I think this had the potential to be you know, an A minus B plus type of moment. You do it at a pay-per-view in front of fans or in front of a live crowd. They really pop for all of this, right? Finally, not just finally ending, but the way they laid it out. Being in the Thunderdome, not promoting it, it kind of ended up as like a C plus, B minus type of situation for me. And I think that's unfortunate. I I, got to say when it kind of ended and you kind of have the family and you're thinking about Murphy kind of being brought into the family, a part of me wanted to really lean into this soap opera type drama and start getting weekly vignettes of the Mysterio family at home and, and Murphy trying to fit into the family and <laughs> stuff that has nothing to do with wrestling. But if we were going to lean into this being weird, I'm always I always say lean into it being as weird as possible. So uh, I, 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 I am curious what happens next. It was uh, the anniversary of Eddie Guerrero's. Death was it anniversary of his death or his birthday. I don't remember. I thought it was his birthday. Maybe it was maybe it was his birthday. And in you know the frog splash and and all that. So I, I don't know if that's why they decided to end it on that day or not. But um, it was it was special. unfortunately it was the anniversary of his death. So I got okay, to get that wrong. Go. Sorry. But yeah, that was cool that you know they fact they worked that into it a little bit. Um, I mean, honestly, they probably could have played it up even a little bit more. Not that they need to do that in storyline, but they do so often. Mention Eddie, you know, that it wouldn't have been yeah. out of place given the storyline and, and given Dominic and, and everything that had gone down. So the storyline's over um, and we're kind of left here. You know, I don't think we really need to evaluate it because we spent seven months evaluating it, but it was good. Uh, it was it was a good long term storyline that went on probably, I would say, two months longer than it needed to. But again, it was circumstantial because Mysterio was legitimately hurt. And I don't think they were able to wrap it up when they wanted to. The other thing to consider, by the way, is maybe they did have to press fast forward on finishing this. You know, I'm going to give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt, maybe. Maybe they did have to press fast forward on it because of Becky Lynch. I don't know what her due date is. They haven't said that publicly, but I believe it's around the mid to end of December or beginning of January. So this might be a scenario where they are on their way to working Rollins off of television for a period of time. And if maybe the doctors came and said, hey, it's going to come early or we need to induce or whatever the situation is, maybe all of a sudden he needed to be gone two weeks earlier than originally planned. 
So they had to put their foot on the gas. So that's something I think that might come out later down the line, if that is the case, or it could just be what our criticism was. WWE, poor promotion, poor marketing, and poor decision-making in terms of wrapping it up. All of that said, after the match, to end the show, Rollins was incredible. Finding Adam Pierce backstage, screaming about Murphy being a disgraceful bastard for betraying him and then demanding a chance to get even. That was a really hot fire backstage promo segment from Rollins. I love Murphy. I want him elevated in a major way. Maybe what we get next week when they have their match is Rollins putting him over and going on paternity leave. I just wonder what happens to Murphy when this feud ends because I don't see Aaliyah continuing to be on screen. I kind of think they're almost going to forget the fact that he has relations with the Mysterio family. Murphy's in a weird spot now where he's connected to the Mysterios, but he's not going to be in a tag team, I don't think, with Dominic. And you expect Ray to still wrestle and compete. So I just don't know where they go with all of these people. Rollins, you can always find something for. Murphy and the Mysterios, I just don't know where they go from here. Right. That That's, that's again, not, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I If they want to do a, a Mysterio family soap opera from home, I'm on board. But other than that, yeah, I don't know. And, and, and um, you know, you've talked about Dominic going down to NXT or something and doing something there. Or, you know, do they become the tag team and go after tag team belts because there are no tag teams? Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, we did talk for a while about the tag team situation and me especially wanting the Mysterios to be a tag team on SmackDown. I think they'd be great. We do have face champions right now. Maybe it's not the right time. I just, I don't exactly know where all of that is going to go. Now, originally, Chris, in the second main event spot, I was going to have us talk about Zelina Vega being released by WWE, the entire deal with the, the third party decision that WWE handed down about Twitch and Cameo and, and its talent doing all of these things. And then I also got a question from a listener as well about unionization for a wrestler. So I would like to kind of talk about that now, but this is going to be a really long show because we do have the Survivor Series Ultimate Preview. So what I want to do, I'm going to save that for Tuesday's episode. Normally, that is a shorter episode as it is. We talk about what happens on the Raw after the pay-per-view, any extraneous stuff from Survivor Series. So we'll be able to talk about Zelina Vega, the Twitch stuff, and potential wrestling unionization. We will save that for Tuesday's show. With that, let's kind of move into talking about everything else that happened on SmackDown and Raw before we get to our WWE Survivor Series Ultimate Preview, which is the main portion at the end of the show. So on Raw, they did another Drew McIntyre, Sheamus interaction backstage. And you guys know I've loved these since the beginning, and Chris has as well. We love the face versus heel interaction, despite them being friends, just not taking into account the kayfabe aspect of what, what's happening in their lives and how they treat people. But this one had Sheamus, I guess, he said that a bunch of McIntyre's ancestral stuff was found randomly. <laughs> And McIntyre then opens a chest with a kilt and some clothes. And then Sheamus hands him a literal Claymore. It was so freaking corny and lame. And I'm thinking, WTF, are they going to have Drew do with a sword, right? Like, what are they doing to this really super cool baby face they've created? And we'll talk about that more in the Ultimate Preview. So I want to save that, Chris. But I figured we'd get this segment out of the way. I saw this happen and I'm like, man, they're going off the deep end with this shit. 
I, I, I think it, my first thought was, okay, so we know, we know Drew's going to win the title. Is this setting up a Seamus turns on him in a couple weeks feud? I, I still think that might be what's happening here. But I, again, I, I like these interactions. The, I think the explanation could have been a bit better. Maybe something like, oh, I, 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 I got your family stuff sent over here as opposed to just it was found or something. <laughs> you know, I think you could have, they could have worked. I don't even it. know what the storyline was. I may have said it. It may have been what you just said. Okay. I, 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 I don't yeah, know. I may have, I may have overlooked it too. I just, I just saw him handing a sword and didn't know. It was just so on. convoluted that there was randomly a chest of clothes sitting there. It, yes. That, that's why it was, that's why it was a little bit weird. So I, I guess I don't exactly know the explanation, what it was, but yes, I thought it was corny and, but I think it paid off and worked based on what happened All right. in the match once we get to that. All right, we'll talk about that. But I, I just, <laughs> I was looking at this, like, shake, I was literally shaking my head on the couch. I was like, what, what is this? Like, what, what, are, what exactly are they doing right now? And I was worried, and I, I do agree with you. I think we're getting McIntyre Sheamus going forward. Um, but I, I thought, is this really, all these interactions that we really, really liked, was it really all for this? And that, that's that's where I was left. I just couldn't believe it. They're building up the friendship between them. This was a little corny, but I still think it's it's good to do. Uh, it was more than a little corny. Yeah, but, it, okay. it, it was plenty corny, but I appreciate the effort. All right. Similarly, we're going to kind of talk about something that may have fit in the ultimate preview, but it's really separate. Uh, Bray Wyatt defeated The Miz one-on-one. I think the first time that the Firefly Funhouse character has had a television match, period. Definitely the first time he's had one on Raw. And I will say before I even get into it, I like that they're finding ways to get The Fiend slash Bray Wyatt in TV matches. Because there was so long where he was only a pay-per-view character. And it just was almost like they didn't have the creativity to figure out a way to make a match actually happen. Now they've done two so far. Uh, One, I think, was the last match on SmackDown with Kevin Owens. And then... Um, this one was his first Raw match, period, if, if memory serves. So I just like the way that they did that. But there was a quick Firefly Funhouse where Wyatt challenged Miz to a match, and then Wyatt prepared with a bunch of drills, help from all the puppets. Miz tries, tried to convince Wyatt to skip the match and instead work together to get what they want. By the way, it's weird in this entire storyline how they've completely ignored the canon where The Fiend invaded Miz's home and tried to abduct his newborn daughter last year. Miz mentioned that. He did? He did. He he said, he said... How I, did I miss that? I, I don't remember exactly what point, but he was doing a promo and he said, you know, we've had our differences. You came to my house and put and tried to steal my daughter or something like that. He it, did? It was, I, I, I'm it, sorry. It was, it was I'm, one line. They did reference, he did, he did say it in one line during one of his promos. I don't exactly remember which part, but I do remember that part. Zero. Point zero. That's for me. That's for me. I missed it. I, I don't miss things like that. My fault. I really thought they skipped it. And I was just like, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. And even so, do, wouldn't you just never want to be anywhere near that guy again? Like, wouldn't you have a restraining order on him? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, anyway. mean, it was, I mean, I mean, AJ Styles and, and uh, Samoa Joe still hang out around each other. So I guess. Yes, they do. But Samoa Joe doesn't let him forget. That's true. On commentary. I mean, I'd I'd be afraid if I was AJ, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, okay. So Alexa Bliss's remixed music hits, which by the way is pretty cool. I like how they did that. 
Uh, she declined, and then Nikki Cross came out, tried to like shake Bliss free of the fiend. Bliss slaps her. They start fighting. Wyatt's music hits, and he like stares down Nikki Cross with a death stare. That I thought was really cool. They have the match. Wyatt hits a urinagi, snaps Miz's neck. Uh, Morrison grabs him to try to prevent him from winning. Wyatt stalked Morrison, and then Alexa Bliss, moment of the show, flies off the step like a bat out of hell off the top of the steps, sacrifices herself, and knocks Morrison over the barricade <laughs> to the outside. Wyatt catches Miz with Sister Abigail for the win. Bliss celebrates by tightrope walking the barrier. And then as they walk to the back, the fiend shows up on the screen and the music hits and it freezes Alexa Bliss and Bray Wyatt in their tracks. And I think I said this like three or four weeks ago when Alexa Bliss was just getting into this whole thing. The idea that the fiend possesses them and is not a Bray Wyatt manifestation is way more interesting than that, than the, the latter. So they actually are doing that. I don't know what that means, if it means there might be more people possessed by the fiend, but they are really creating this different world and universe, this sci-fi type of deal here. And I'm not a big sci-fi guy, but this is really interesting. I thought that played out really well. And I was concerned when you get a Wyatt match and a Miz match, they're not really a good fit. And Wyatt in general, his fiend matches, recently they've been way better than they were at the very beginning. This entire storyline completely worked for me. And I thought it was a home run. Yeah, whole thing was great. Um, I thought, speaking of the the Bray and, and, and Alexa up while the Fiend music hit, uh, a nitpick, it was weird for them to go from that to like a, a promo graphic for the title match coming up later. Like, I feel like they should have just gone a commercial because like this weird thing's happening and then commenters just kind of promoting a match later in the day. So yes, that, I, hate that's always the, that. I hate when they do that. Yep. Um, Go and they don't even and and they they kind of mention they're like well, I don't know what that was but like they don't they don't do it enough they should be shocked by what they just saw yes yeah like Samoa yep. Joe should be like dude Tom what the hell was that yep and then Tom's like dude I, I I don't know but we up next we do have this match coming up like at least say it that way yeah don't say it so canned anyway, yeah sorry so Go going back to the Far Five Fun House um, Bray had a, a a line about people in Hollywood eventually working for their reptilian overlords, which <laughs> I took as a nod to Bo Dallas saying a few years ago that he might believe in lizard people on Jericho's podcast. <laughs> well they both talk about they both talk about that all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's not that is not that is not the first time that Wyatt's mentioned that on the phone. Okay, I may have missed yeah. it, but that, that that jumped out to me about that. Um uh and, and so the other thing is we haven't talked about the Thunderdome in a while. I think this is the first Bray Wyatt entrance in the Thunderdome. Yes. And it really worked with all the different colors, you know, the, 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 the blue, the pink, the yellow, the red, having all those lights, it really works. I think for his entrance, it, it really adds that, that kid show fluffy, happy feeling in the arena when he was coming out. I thought that was a really uh, well done considering we hadn't, I don't think seen that in the Thunderdome yet. Um, so that was good. Uh, and yeah, just the whole thing was really good. And they continue to keep this interesting and fresh. And I like Bray wrestling on the show. I'm hesitant to say they should do it a lot more because I think what they're doing is working. And I am always terrified that they're going to kind of overdo stuff. Yeah, um, moderation. Yeah, so... If he, if he wrestles once a month on, on Raw, or honestly, if he has a match 
like once a month on pay-per-view or not even, sorry, once every two months on pay-per-view and once every two months a match on Raw, if he wrestles once a month combined, it's fine. That's all yeah. he needs to be. Yeah, and I mean, it's been more than a year of Firefly Funhouse and and um, they just, it's continued to be, feel fresh and interesting and fun. So real credit yeah. to everybody involved there. The last couple they did with him solo and then the ones they've been doing with Alexa Bliss, Alexa's really changed this gimmick. And yeah. she's made it better. It's made her better. It's made Bray better. It's it's just a huge success for me. I know people don't like The Fiend. Some people don't. I really do. And for me, this has been hitting on all cylinders. I, I mean, I think the Bray Wyatt character is better or, or more interesting than The Fiend. I mean, Bray's... Yeah, it's great. Bray, yeah, Bray's... I mean, whether or not you, you like The Fiend, I, I, I think you gotta like Bray Wyatt. I think he's just... His, his acting ability in these promos has been just really top-notch. You are right about that. Okay, a couple more things here. Sasha Banks uh, got attacked on SmackDown again. She cut a promo saying she was on another level versus the rest of the women's division, but she gets cut, cut off by Bailey's music. And I'm like, wait, are they really doing this again? No, it was a good swerve. Um, it was a distraction for Carmella to super kick her head off a second time and hit another X factor. I think it's nice that they're starting something while still preparing for Survivor Series, but it's just, it was kind of like meaningless. It almost didn't even need to happen on the show. I, I would have much rather her promoted the match with Asuka. Yeah. Um, it, it's weird. Be- th- this is this is maybe the only feud really where that that has a match at Survivor Series but seems more focused on what's going on on the show. They're, they're putting it on the Carmella stuff here. They're not even basically referencing Asuka. On, on that so that that has been interesting because otherwise yeah it's just been kind of weird because we know this match is coming up but they're it's all about what's going to happen afterward we also saw otis defeat dolph ziggler ziggler and robert rude walked in front of otis he was eating like three plates of food in the catering area and started insulting him out of nowhere so he flipped the table uh in the match rude distracted otis and let ziggler hit the zigzag uh, but he was basically squashed uh ziggler with otis's vader bomb that certainly was a decision to have that match um, and that storyline. I didn't really think much of it. But what followed, that popped the Silver King. Back in his red, white, and blue gear, we saw Chad Gable. Yes, full name, Chad Gable. Uh, approach Otis after the match and say he wants to unlock his inner alpha. Otis bought in right away and Gable then had like an evil type of look on his face. The flyer that he handed him had Ready, Willing, and Gable on it. So WWE with Chad Gable, gotta say, doing exactly what I wanted, going right back to basics. Ready, Willing, Gable, the alpha stuff. It's a good gimmick for him. He is, and it's obvious, the young Kurt Angle, he, he's not exactly Kurt. He's not as good uh, from a character standpoint or on the mic as Kurt was, and he's not as big as Kurt was either. But he has the talent and he has... That ability. I like the pairing of Gable and Otis either as a potential tag team, because by the way, they do happen to be really good friends in real life, or as a way for them to kind of make Otis more serious, or potentially as something where Gable thinks he's almost manipulating Otis and turn, then turns on him and they have a feud together. One way or another, it's a really good usage of Gable and a good usage of both guys and I'm not going to get too overly optimistic that they're going to be using Chad Gable in a great way, 
But what I can say is this is a vast improvement. It is night and day compared to Shorty J. Yes, definitely better than Shorty G. The sense I got was that last part you listed, which is he's going to manipulate Otis and do something. So we'll see. I mean, I, I, I would love to get Chad Gable back to the literally the, the Redding, Willing and Gable kind of optimistic, happy guy, you know, type of deal. It doesn't look like that's where they're going, but they're doing something with him and it's something where they're going to take him seriously. And so I am on board with whatever that ends up being. Morning Woods is what Xavier calls it. Look, I'm a Chad Gable mark, right? Make it work, make it work. And I'm going to buy into your product. And then last year, before we get to our ultimate preview, Jeff Hardy is backstage at Raw tearing down flyers that Elias put up, looking for information from the hit and run that happened six months ago now. Uh, Hardy put Elias up against the wall and screamed at him that he didn't do it. Elias just still doesn't believe him. I have no idea why this is continuing. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, <laughs> we haven't really gotten a ton from Elias's character as to you know, why this matters so much to him now, other than kind of the basics. So, well, he did get hit by a car. No, but I, I mean, like he's not, he, he, we haven't had them address. It's just, it's, it's very surface level in terms of kind of where this is going. Yeah. Just whatever. It, it's strange. Seamus is on the show. I, I mean, I mean like, so I'm like, by the way, Seamus is on raw too. Right. But like, so, I give me like Elias, like, Jeff, you took months off my career. You could have ended it. Like, really, like, get into why this matters so much to him. It's just kind of the basic, oh, he hit me with a car. I want to get him. But he and also could have, at some point, he could have walked up to Seamus backstage and say, dude, look, Jeff Hart, Jeff says he's not doing it. I'm going after him. Like, are you sure it was him? Yeah. Like, like whatever. And have Seamus, look, man, I wouldn't lie to you. And, and lie, you know, have him lie, actually. But, hey, man, I wouldn't lie to you. And then, so he, so at least he has a reason to continue going after Jeff. But there's just no proof here. And it was kind of, it was not proven to be fair that Jeff was innocent on SmackDown. Just circumstantially, it seemed like he wasn't. But it also wasn't proven that Sheamus was guilty. So I don't know what the actual answer is going to be here. But it ain't this. And if you want to wrap up a storyline, I'm all for it. But wrap it up. And they're not doing it. It's just... The fact that it's continuing after the guitar match is just mind mind boggling for me. But all right, that is everything else that happened on Raw and SmackDown. It is now time for maybe not the main event. We already did that. The main course of this show. How about next week? You and I meet up one on one for a steak dinner. It is time for the steak on this edition of Getting Over. That is the WWE Survivor Series Ultimate preview. We have six matches on this card and let's get us started with the tag team title head-to-head match, uh, whatever you want to call it. The two best tag teams in WWE based on storyline going head-to-head. New Day representing Raw, Street Profits representing SmackDown. Over on SmackDown, we had the Street Profits cater for Big E backstage. They served up some red velvet cake and collard greens and L shapes saying they were going to serve the New Day L's tore them down. Big E said the best the Street Profits would ever be is New Day Light or Great Value New Day. That popped. That was funny uh, and promised New Day would retain Monday and tear them up at Survivor Series. That was okay. What really popped me was on Raw, Chris. We had a tag team title match. New Day defending against Cedric Alexander 
And Shelton Benjamin, I guess, already gave away the finish based on how I brought this in. But Hurt Business and New Day, they both cut promos. I didn't think either of them was particularly good. The match, however, was a certified banger. Kofi hit an awesome crossbody frog splash. Hurt Business came back with a top rope double team move for a two. Alexander hit three tope suicidas in a row and Wood sacrificed himself for Kofi on the third one. Uh, Shelton blind tagged himself in and destroyed Kingston, hit the angle slam, which was a really cool callback to team angle, but Kofi kicked out at 2.8. Uh, there was then a brain buster on Kofi from Alexander. That was saved by Xavier Woods. Kofi hit trouble in paradise to knock Benjamin off the ring apron. Woods hit daybreak for the title retention. As I said, this was fire, a great match, a great tease of a potential title change, which I think both you and I thought was going to happen going into the match. But now they're giving us New Day and Street Profits at Survivor Series. And I got to say, out of all of the champion versus champion matches, up until potentially a decision that was made, I'm looking forward to this more than the other two, at least. Yeah, I mean, I think this will be match of the night at Survivor Series. And it was great to give us a... It was great to give us a really fun, exciting, good match where someone defends their belt going into Survivor Series because there was a theme here with a, a number of these other things where people didn't look good going into Survivor Series. It, it, it's about other things going on. So match was great. You knew it was going to be great with, with, with those guys. I think this champion the Survivor Series match between these uh, is going to be a lot of fun. Not Not really a ton to add other than like, it's fun when WWE does really good tag team wrestling. Wish they do it more. And it was nice to see Hurt Business trying to go after titles because this is what we were wanting them to do for a while. We wanted, you know, MVP to go take the 24-7 belts or something like that. Have them go after the tag belts. Like, that's what they should be wanting to do, the Hurt Business, um, especially since they're not running Raw Underground or anything anymore. Like, what, 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 what is their purpose? Their purpose should be they want all the gold. Uh, so I appreciate that they went for it. Yeah, I do agree with that. And I do think that that tag team of her business has now been established. Now, that doesn't mean they will take the titles off New Day in short order. But if they did, I now believe that Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin are a legitimate tag team. So mm -hmm. that is part of the stuff that we're talking about when it comes to if you're going to throw a tag team together, you know, they technically kind of have a name because they're part of her business. They're part of a faction. So that's OK. But you have to establish them. You can't just throw Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke and say, okay, now you're a tag team, go win the titles. Like even with Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax, they're doing it in opposite order, but at least they're doing it. They've established that these people who hated each other actually work really well together. It's very similar to what they did with the bar back in the day. So that all works for me. So this match was really damn good. I mean, if we did not have the main event on Raw, this would have been the match of the night easily. And it may have, some people may have preferred it anyway. That's how great it was. So as I said, certified banger for this match. Now we get into the Survivor Series match, Chris. And I don't really know what they're going to do. You know, if they're going to have New Day drop the title sooner than later, you would expect that they might win this because you don't want them to take multiple losses time and again. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think New Day is going to be holding on to those Raw Tag Team titles for a good while. And I almost think Kofi and, Z and uh, Xavier Woods would almost push Vince McMahon and push the writers to ensure the Street Profits win this and that they get to put them over. So ultimately, I think this is a crowning spot for the Street Profits where 
WWE says, yup, we're buying into you as a tag team. We're putting you over, young guys. Go enjoy the moment. Yep, I, I totally agree. I would be very surprised if the Street Profits don't win this. Um, again, long term, I think there's some issues about there not being many tag teams in WWE, period. So I don't know what they do afterward long term. But as it relates to Survivor Series, yeah, I'm picking the Street Profits. Now, moving into the mid-card match, we have Bobby Lashley as the United States champion against Sami Zayn as the Intercontinental champion. As far as Lashley goes, they didn't really do much to build it up on Raw. They did mention it during that Hurt Business promo, but that was about it. Zayn, on the other other hand, had an Intercontinental title match on SmackDown where he defended against Apollo Crews. And Zayn opened this by cutting a promo about it being BS that he had to defend the title on one hour notice. Hey, Sammy, it's BS the fans learned about the match on one hour (laughs) notice. I'm with you, bro. I feel you. Um, Early in the match, Zayn ripped off the ring apron and locked Cruz's foot in the exposed like truss underneath the ring to win by count out in a really unique, smart spot. Hey, it was a clean win and it was decisive. I'm going to take it. I also like that they freaked a lot of people out online by making them think that WWE would be lazy enough to go back to Bobby Lashley, Apollo Crews, and just do the feud again. I saw people on Twitter, on Reddit, freaking out. Oh my God, of course they're going to do a title change. This is so bad for Sammy. They're going to bury him, like all this stuff. And Sammy wins because he's smart. So I was totally good with it. I love when they have smart heels. And I'll go ahead and give a prediction here. This really could go either of two ways, Chris, because on one hand, Lashley beating Zayn doesn't hurt Zayn. Right? It's Bobby Lashley. He's huge. He's dominant. They've established the hurt lock. He can catch him. If you have MVP at ringside, that would allow them to outsmart two-on-one anything that Zayn does on his own. On the other hand, Zayn could outsmart Bobby Lashley. And I would 100% buy that as a finish with Zayn getting the win because they have now established that he's winning matches with his brain, not necessarily his skill. He did it in the ladder match to win the IC title, and he did it against Apollo Crews to retain the IC title. So they've actually built up Sami Zayn as a believable guy who can win any match that he's in now. But ultimately, I'll go with my prediction of Bobby Lashley winning here. Yeah, I thought it was a good setup too because we knew, you know, on on, on Raw, we knew we're getting McIntyre, Orton, and we're thinking a title change is coming. So when they're springing Apollo Sami on us, we're thinking, oh, they're going to do the same thing here and they're going to get us back to Apollo versus... Bobby and do the whole thing. So yeah, no, they they got me. They worked me. If that was the point of it, definitely uh, definitely worked. I like Sami Zayn kind of doing the the move you do in in the in the video game where you're fighting somebody on the outside and jump back in at nine and, and win the match. Always a big fan of heels being smart. Does not happen nearly enough. I like if that if this is going to be a, the idea that Sammy is a, a Weasley heel, but he's a smart Weasley heel. Would be a big fan of that. As for this match, I, I also am picking Lashley to win. I, I think if you were going to have Sammy do some trick stuff to, to win, it'd make more sense if this was a feud that was going to continue, but it's it's not. They barely even acknowledged each other. So I think this is a pretty straightforward match where Lashley wins, um, and it, it doesn't really do anything to Sammy. Well, to be fair, Zine's been going pretty hard at Lashley. Lashley just hasn't really mentioned it. Like Sure. I mean, they did two short promos 
And they just, just, they haven't built it. And this is not the only match they haven't built. Honestly, there's another one that's even worse, but out of respect, I'm saving it for the co-main event spot. But really, there's two matches on a six-match card that have had little to no build. And even though there's no titles on the line, these are champion versus champion matches, you still kind of want to build your feuds for a pay-per-view. So Mm -hmm. that is a bit disappointing. Uh, So let's move over to the Women's Survivor Series match. You have Team Raw versus Team SmackDown. We'll start on SmackDown, which is now... Bianca Belair, Ruby Riot, Liv Morgan, and two women yet to be determined. On SmackDown, we had Liv Morgan defeat Tamina, Natalia, and surprisingly Chelsea Green in a fatal four-way match to earn her spot onto the team. Liv countered Natalia with a great DDT. She then hit her face buster finisher on Natalia and then Tamina for the win. And it was great that they put over Liv. She looked really good in the ring. And she continues to improve. So I do think her future in WWE is going to be bright. But months after her supposed debut, we finally get Chelsea Green on the main roster. Only for her to miss two-thirds of the match because she broke her arm or wrist. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Right away. Like as soon as she got into the ring. I believe she suffered an arm or wrist injury previously. So this is like a re-break. I don't know if it's in the same spot or, or what happened. But horrible timing. Awful news for Chelsea Green. She's really talented. And I hope that she gets back soon. I have to imagine, Chris, that the original plan was to put her over in this match. And they had to call, call an audible. And thank God that the audible was live winning. Because I didn't really notice it in the finish that it wasn't right. Her hitting her finisher on two different people or one of her two finishers, I should say, on two different people. It worked, and I'm glad she's in the match. But man, I I feel for Chelsea Green here. Like, it's been a long time that she hasn't gotten an opportunity, and they finally give her one, and that happens. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know if there's just a curse when people come up from NXT or what, but man, this, this type of stuff seems to happen all the time where people finally make it up and then they get injured like right away. This keeps happening. It's it's it, it sucks. So hopefully, you know, she'll be okay and, and get back relatively quickly. Um, yeah, it, it was kind of a surprise. Still kind of waiting to see more of what it'll all be about. And I guess we'll have to wait some more. Um, so kind of makes sense. I mean, it, it works out with Liv being in the match now. I think with with Ruby there and everything. So I I think they can still, you know pull something out of what I, I think has been a pretty interesting build for the women's match. Yeah, it hasn't been bad. And on the SmackDown side, the truth is they really don't have many women left to choose from. The only right. ones who are not busy are Bailey, Billy Kay, and Billy Kay should definitely be in the match, by the way. Uh, Carmella, who it especially, seems like... Especially since Peyton Royce is now in the match. Absolutely, that's a good point. Carmella is another person, but it looks like she's involved with Sasha Banks. They're probably not going to use her in this. Natalia and Tamina. So out of Bailey, Billy Kay, Carmella, Natalia, and Tamina, they need to choose two. And that's not necessarily as strong of a close to the team as I thought we might get. Now that said, Raw team didn't close that strong either. Uh, on Raw, we had Asuka, Mandy Rose, and Dana Brooke defeat Shayna Baszler, Nia Jax, and Lana in a six-woman tag team match. They're definitely pushing Lana as a babyface, trying to get Baszler and Jax to like her by asking for the match and asking to team up with them. Lana tagged herself in the exact wrong time, just as Baszler knocked Asuka out, actually, with the Kirafuda clutch, which could be a storyline if Baszler ends up being the next challenger for Asuka. 
Asuka recovered and won with the Asuka lock on Lana as Baszler and Jax don't even try to help her. Uh, Jax fooled Lana into thinking they were proud of her, but instead psyched her out, put her in the Samoan drop onto the announce table for the ninth time in as many weeks. Um, Mandy Rose was kayfabe injured during the match after I believe she was actually hurt last week on Raw. So I believe they purposely wrote her out of the match and of Survivor Series backstage. Then you had Reckoning take out Dana Brooke. And I'm glad we, by the way, finally got to see Reckoning get involved in a women's storyline. So like good for her to actually do that and for them to use her in that way. Mia Yim, that is. Uh, Mandy and Dana were replaced on the team in the show by Peyton Royce and Lacey Evans, which, I mean, whatever. I actually thought it might be a spot where they were going to do a surprise and bring Charlotte back for the pay-per-view, but that's not apparently what they're doing. It's Peyton Royce and Lacey. Uh, There was a decent backstage segment after everyone uh, with Lana creating tension uh, between them, meaning the other three women on the team, other four women on the team, I'm sorry. But ultimately, you know, I think this is going to be an interesting match. It does seem to me like the SmackDown team has the advantage, even though two members are not decided. The infighting, um, Lana maybe either costing Baszler and Jax or Lana being the sole survivor. Those are the only two ways I see this showing out. And the question is, who do you want to stand on top after this entire thing? Do you want to do this to push Lana or do you want to do this to push Bianca Belair? That's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, and I mean, with the SmackDown team, different people coming on and off, I, I, I don't think it really matters because to me, I think the only thing that matters on the Survivor Series team is that Bianca Belair is going to be the sole survivor. Um, I'm just fully convinced that that's what it's going to be. So whether it's Liv Morgan or Chelsea Green or whoever, I think it ends up getting down to just Bianca Belair. As for Raw, an annoying part of Raw was that the men's team and women's team kind of had the same story and finish mm-hmm. uh, in the episode, which is not great. Even though they've been kind of telling the same stories, I think they could have done it a little bit differently. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious. So yeah, there's there's two things I'm looking for going into this match. It is, I think Bianca Belair is the sole survivor. And then what what role does Lana play in that? Does Lana end up, the final one for Raw. Does she get a couple surprise pins? Does it turn out she's doing a great job? I don't know. But it, it has me looking forward to it. You know, I, I think they've told a story here and they've made Lana a sympathetic baby face. They've kept Nia Jax being a, a real heel while Shayna's maybe not. Shayna's kind of more of a tweener. Um, so, yeah, I think the Raw women's team build has been pretty good, all things considered, um, w- without invasions or... Becky Lynch getting bloodied and stuff like that. I think they've told a pretty consistent story here over the last month. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. Yeah, I, this is one where I'm not exactly sure for the reasons that you mentioned. I do know that the SmackDown team is clearly the face side with B, with Belair, yes. Ruby Riot, and Liv. Whereas on the other side, I mean Peyton and Lacey, I don't even know what they are. I don't think they're their faces, but. Maybe they're tweeners. Lana's clearly a face. Baszler and Jax are the ultimate heels on the show. So, I mean, the, the scenarios, kind of like you laid them out, are Belair being the sole survivor, no matter how that happens. That makes a lot of sense. Lana being the sole survivor and, like, rolling up Belair in just a shocking moment that, like, pisses off back uh, uh, Baszler and Jax. I almost called them backs. 
um, Baszler and Jax for some reason. Or what I think is most likely, and this is kind of what you said, is that like Jax gets eliminated early somehow by accident. Lana may be rolling up the person who eliminates Jax and then getting another pinfall on top of that. Shocking Baszler, who's on the ropes, just like not believing what's happening. But I, I don't think you can legitimately say in a match with these other nine women that Lana will wind up being the sole survivor. Maybe she's even there with Belair at the end and she puts up a greater fight than expected going up against, you know, basically the top woman in the entire match. But if I'm, and I may have just said Baszler, but I meant Belair. Uh, the ultimate finish to this really should be Bianca Belair being crowned similarly to how we've had like Braun Strowman in the past or, or, got, or guys and girls of that ilk. You want to have someone come out of these Survivor Series matches with momentum. And Belair, considering what she has done previously in Royal Rumbles, I think she should be that person. So because of that, even though there's two members not yet defined, I'm going to say Team SmackDown wins this. Yeah, I think this has to be a star-making moment for her. Like, I, I, It shouldn't be Lana winning... Survivor Series because that's that'll be a very short term decision. I, I think it's really been built up for uh, this is this is going to be a star making moment for Bianca Belair and I think it should be and that's how I think it'll play out. It's just interesting that on Raw and maybe it's just a factor of them having more time, but there's a fully developed storyline, and it was really two storylines involved. In, you know, before Dana Brooke and Mandy Rose got taken out behind the Raw women's team, but there's none whatsoever on the SmackDown side. And when you go to the men's match, which we'll switch to next, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. There's a fully developed storyline regarding the men's Survivor Series team from Raw and none whatsoever really for the SmackDown team. Also, it's kind of weird that there's multiple heels on this team, but and I know it's, and I know these teams are always a mix, but the Raw team for me going in is clearly the face team. So we had on Raw... Retribution defeat Team Raw in a match. Retribution's first win as a unit finally came. Styles tried to get the guys on the same page backstage and Big Jordan spoke for the first time after Riddle called him Omos. I think that's a takeoff, a nickname from his full big long last name that I don't want to mispronounce. Uh, Styles was shocked and that he could even speak and it reminded me of like that scene in Rush Hour, so I thought I popped for that. I thought Styles I, in, yeah, Styles. Well, I was just gonna say Styles in this role is really funny. He is. What are you gonna say? That no, was, yeah, no. The the, the the whole does he speak English? I didn't know. You didn't ask. Like I thought right. it was funny. I thought it was really funny. And and AJ uh, is playing this role very well. And yeah, he's got the the comedy side of him too. I think it's been it's been good. It's been great. And I, now I like the combination of them even more than I did before because maybe they will add some of those elements to it, right? Yeah. Uh, Styles uh, was shocked with that whole situation. And then we go into the match. There's a solid promo from Mustafa Ali, uh, but also nothing special ahead of that match. Styles kept playing up the captain deal while he was at ringside and on commentary. Ali taunted him during the match. Lee had a really hot tag and tore apart retribution until Ali drilled him from behind into the announce table. Team Raw started to work together and all kind of coalesce, but then it fell apart once again, as it always does. Ali ran Riddle into Strowman, into Lee, knocking him off the ring apron, and then rolled Riddle up for the win. So they had the right person take the fall. For Retribution side, they had the right person 
get the fall and Retribution won. So for me, that was all a positive. I thought this was a really good segment and I thought everything they did with these guys on the show again was positive. And I feel like Team Raw is telling me a story and I am excited to see what actually happens in the match. Yeah, I I think... On one hand, I'm glad Retribution got a win. I always believe tag teams should defeat teams of singles wrestlers. So that all makes sense. But there's also a part of me that kind of wanted these teams, both I mean, both the women and the men's teams, to kind of like finally be on the same page heading into Survivor Series. So it feels like we're getting two teams at the top of their game. Instead, it's feeling like we've got teams that can't even stick together going into the match that makes me a little less, I guess, hyped up for the match. Like if they had been on the same team and won and they feel like they're a unit and they're going to dominate, it's like, all right, like when you have a big sports game, like you want teams to be like on winning streaks going into it. You you want them to be like, oh, they're going to be at their best in this. So I like I would have liked that, but I'm also kind of contradicting myself again because I. I do think a a a team, a regular team, should be the team of singles wrestlers. So, kind of going both ways here. It was just again, the the someone else tags themselves in, and they end up losing the match. It's the exact same thing that played out with the women. Could have done that a little bit differently, but um, overall, I liked it. I, I again could have gone either way with the ways I explained it, but yeah, they, again here, they have told a consistent story over several weeks. And it feels like being on this team and winning this match matters to these people. And I and think by the that's, way, that's a big plus. And by the way, the match was good also. Like, mm-hmm. like uh, Shane Thorne, Slapjack, sold like an MFR on this. He was flying all over the ring. You had, it actually, it does pain me inside to say the, the, the character names, but you had Mason T-Bar do some <laughs> double team action and kind of made you think, hey, if they actually do a tag team, like a Twin Towers type deal with those guys, that could actually work, right? Uh, Ali was really good as Ali is always really good. So there was just a lot of momentum behind them. And I thought the presentation of Retribution from the promo to Reckoning's attack to them winning this match on the show was the best maybe, or one of the best that we've had to this point. Now that's not saying much because the rest of them weren't even good. Most of the time, they're not even good, but this one worked for me. But Mm -hmm. going into the match and sticking with, uh, Survivor Series, you're right. The women and men on Raw, the storyline is very similar. It's a little bit a little bit different with there being a captain situation with the men. The women, just them not trusting or liking Lana. Again, losing the, the tag team, Dana Brooke and Mandy Rose, does change the dynamic of that because I thought that would kind of lead into a tag team title feud between those four, uh, meaning with Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. Here, it's just infighting between the entire group, but you have Riddle and Styles with the comedy elements. You have the really big guys, and they're going up against Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins, Jey Uso, Baron Corbin, and the fifth person is TBD. Now, I have to expect it's going to be Big E, but the only way I could see them not picking Big E is if the SmackDown team is going to potentially get creamed in some way, and they don't want to kind of subject him to that. So I don't know what is going to happen, but... What I will say, the men's team on Raw has been, the storyline has been told too extensively about them being at odds for them not to win. And the team is way too strong to believably lose. Between, I mean, if you want Riddle to get eliminated and Sheamus, I'm okay with that. I believe it. But Styles, a a true main eventer, 
Strowman and Keith Lee, two of the biggest guys in the entire company. Who's going to take them out? Owens? No. Rollins? Uh, maybe he could stomp Keith Lee and pin him, but it seems unnecessary. Jey Uso? No. Corbin? No. And the fifth person? Probably not. We don't know who they are. So really, I don't care how they book it. Team Raw is winning this match. Yeah, I, I think so too, especially since I think, or we both think SmackDown is winning the, the other one. And I don't even know if they're going to count you know, which brand wins like they have in the past. Like there's no bragging rights cup or anything like that. So I'm not, I'm not sure if it really matters which brand is winning number of matches, but yeah, again, the whole story here has been on the raw side. The half of the SmackDown thing is related to the Roman Reigns feud. So uh, yeah, I think raw wins it. And perhaps again, you're right. I think perhaps pretty comfortably. Now, we did this, or I did this out of respect. I put the women's match, Asuka as the Raw Women's Champion, Sasha Banks as the SmackDown Women's Champion in the co-main event, because the match is going to rule. And I know we talked about match of the night possibly being the tag team match. Possibly. Uh, the main event may also be the, the match of the night. But in terms of pure wrestling, if they give it the time that it deserves, we've seen it already. We know what's possible. Asuka, Sasha Banks could tear the freaking house down and be the match of the night to me, two of the five best women's wrestlers in the entire world going head to head for either the third or fourth time. And I'm actually starting to lose count uh, because it's happened so often. So it is a bit disappointing that they've done this storyline or they did this storyline to such a degree already with crossover branding and, and Sasha winning the Raw title despite being on SmackDown that they're going back to it. And maybe that is part of the reason that they haven't built it because they expect fans who have just recently watched to know what these two have gone through with each other. But there has been zero build for this. I mean, truly 0.0 build for this match. I think they've each mentioned each other. I think, I think uh, one of the backstage announcers mentioned Sasha Banks to Asuka once and she ranted in Japanese. I think maybe Sasha Banks said Asuka's name once in the in the last promo on SmackDown, but there has really been nothing building towards this match. So really, this is one of those situations where it's just in-ring work is going to carry it. I think in-ring work will carry it because they're great. I hope they get a minimum of 20 minutes. And honestly, I'd give them 30. I'd give them 45 if it, if it was allowable. Um, so they're going to tear the house down. It's going to be a great match. Ultimately, Asuka hasn't really been featured on TV a lot recently. Her run with the title has been strong enough coming out of Money in the Bank, even though she did lose it for a couple weeks to Sasha. But you just made Sasha the SmackDown Women's Champion. You just had her get over her biggest rival. I think you have to have Sasha Banks beat Asuka clean in the middle of the ring in this match. I'm, I'm curious how much build they'll do on Friday if they're going to go all in on Sasha talking about Asuka and they really try to build it up right beforehand. Because, yeah, we, we kind of got an Asuka promo, kind of, on, on, on Raw, and that's been it. I I think the match will be great. Um, I think I think Asuka wins, but I think Asuka wins because Carmella interferes in an attempt to keep both looking strong. And... Um, and, and it goes somewhere. I, I'm not expecting Asuka to get a, a, a clean win for the championship. I know they, they Sasha finally got her title defense 
clean win over Bailey to get get that going. I don't think they're going to turn around and give her a a straight up clean loss. I think they've been. I mean, Carmella's just interfering with her every week. I think it would make perfect sense at some point to do that. I think it'll be a letdown of a finish if they do that, but I just hope they give us a good enough match before it gets to that. So do you think it's as simple as a Carmella super kick again? Something like that, maybe. Hopefully it's a bit more creative than just super kick out of nowhere, but... Let's uh, let. So I actually actually agree with you. That's probably more likely than Sasha winning clean. Let's make believe someone has to win clean. Who would you pick? If someone has to win clean, I think they would do Sasha because I don't think Asuka would lose anything. She's not doing anything anyway. I would give it to Sasha. Okay, but I do think you make a really good point. And if it was uh, putting money on the match... I kind of did forget the the Carmella element and, and even the Bailey element. Car- Carmella, Carmelament. The Carmelament of, you know, getting her involved here. Referee gets knocked out. Carmella comes down, hits the X factor. The super kick, Asuka pins her. Um, even, even maybe Asuka beats up Carmella or something because she's yeah. a face and Sasha's a face. I don't know. But you, um, yeah, you make a really good point there. So I'll stick with my prediction because I made it. Uh, hopefully they do go to a clean finish. But if they don't, that's your move. So we now enter... The main event of our ultimate preview, the world championship match, Roman Reigns as the universal champion going up against the WWE champion. Now we're going to pause there and not actually talk about the match itself. Why? Because a ton of stuff happened on SmackDown and Raw building up to this moment. And we would be remiss if we previewed the match without talking about all of it. So that's what we're going to have to do. On SmackDown to open the show, We had Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre go face-to-face. Reigns opened SmackDown, and they were gushing about his confidence and his swagger. He cut down Randy Orton when, surprisingly, McIntyre's music hit. He shows up. And commentary did a really good job, Chris, of selling Paul Heyman being upset that he's seeing McIntyre, given the history with Brock Lesnar and what happened less than a year ago. McIntyre cut a solid promo about replacing Reigns when he was away and being the man in WWE. Reigns said his return... Since his return, he's overshadowed McIntyre completely. And then he broke kayfabe a bit, uh, saying that nobody watches Raw because they're watching SmackDown, which, by the way, is kind of true. Uh, Raymond also had a killer line, it's all right, you're not missing much, about Raw, obviously the show <laughs> of which he was the executive producer. So that popped me breaking the fourth wall type of stuff. Reigns um, saw McIntyre get into his face and then Jay Uso ran down and challenged him. Reigns yelled at Jay later for trying to handle his business and forgetting who calls the shots. Adam Pierce booked the match. This, Chris, was a really hot segment for me, but they gave us no reason whatsoever why McIntyre was suddenly allowed on SmackDown. Uh, more importantly, it felt like they were blatantly telegraphing the fact that McIntyre would probably win the title when he had his match with Randy Orton on Monday. Remember, We're reviewing both SmackDown and Raw at the same time, and we have to wait. This isn't immediately coming after SmackDown. So I'm just explaining what it felt like in the moment to me. How the hell do you do that segment between Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre and then not give us that match on Survivor Series? I guess maybe it could have been a long-term tease for WrestleMania. But in the moment, I said, man, they just telegraphed a title change on Monday night. I mean, I I think we all... I think we all basically saw it coming. And so for the sake of, hey, we're going to do this anyway, so we might as well start pre-building the hype for the Survivor Series match. Let's just do it. I was okay with it. I, I mean, because again, I already thought he 
already assumed McIntyre was going to win. So I, I think that was fine because, and, and, and we'll get into it in a minute, because of what they did on Raw is another reason I'm okay with it. But as for why McIntyre is allowed, I mean, they didn't really explain that people are not allowed on other shows. He just kind of decided to do it. And I think the fact that he did decide to do it kind of, plays into McIntyre's idea that he's the man he can kind of do what he wants. And and he was on uh, SmackDown too. So yeah, it telegraphed it, but I'm okay with the telegraph because of the execution. Sometimes predictable things are good and they've set up what I think will be a great video package before that match because of what they did with that promo. So I'm, I mean, theoretically, yeah, you could have done it this Friday as well, I, I, I guess, but I, I was okay with it because none of it was surprising and it got me excited for it. They gave me a reason to be excited for it. They made it clear that it matters to these guys. Um, so yeah, it was good. I like the breaking of the fourth wall. Nobody watches raw. I mean, the raw ratings have kind of been going down while SmackDown kind of goes up. So he's kind of got a point there, even though they're not, I know they're not competing at, in the same time slot and, and, and mentioning that Reigns was away, but not saying why he was away. I think was also important because you don't want it to be a, you know, that was kind of a, in simple terms of face move because he didn't want to get his family sick, but kind of hinting that it was range just didn't want to be around. So McIntyre got to be the man. I think that worked. So this all worked for me. It, it, it was telegraphed a hundred percent, but it really got me hyped up. I just think it's another factor, just like what I was talking about with the Mysterio stuff. It just, if they had pushed everything one week earlier, if they had done this match on last week's Raw, the main event, which we'll talk about, then you do this on this Friday and, and you build it for a full week. But Well, well here's it, the problem. Here's the problem. And just real quick. Randy Orton should not have won the title at Hell in a Cell. He should have won it a month or two prior. And then... Yes. And then he gets it back. It's very clear. They decided that the, at the last couple of weeks... Actually, no, we want Roman versus Drew. So we got to change it. And that, it, 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 and based on how the Drew-Randy thing played out, it, it, may, it really hurts the end of this feud if it's the end of this feud, I guess. That, that's the bigger problem. Yeah, they should have done this a few weeks ago because Randy should have been the champion a few months ago. If they, right. Clearly, they made this decision late and they've had to make up for it in the, in the subsequent weeks. Exactly. No, that, that is 100% right. So we'll finish up on, on the SmackDown part of it. Uh, Drew McIntyre beat Jey Uso in, I think it was the main event. McIntyre hit a couple belly-to-belly -belly suplexes. Jey avoided a Claymore. Uh, Reigns hits the ring while McIntyre was kind of beating on Jey outside. He distracts McIntyre. Reigns told Jey he didn't care if he won the match. He wanted Jey to make him understand. So Jey beat on McIntyre for like 30 seconds. And then McIntyre popped up and hit him with the Claymore for the win. So McIntyre got in Reigns' face after. And he asked, do you understand me now? Uh, but Reigns turned his back on him because he's not yet a champion and therefore wasn't worth his time. Again, that segment to me felt like it was just telegraphing the entire thing. And we'll get into in a moment um, what you're talking about with Randy Orton, because I did have that a little bit later. But the moment and SmackDown as a whole worked like in and of itself. The booking of SmackDown worked. It was just done out of order. I think if WWE had the ability to go back to like September and just rearrange the storylines that they told, everything would have been so much better than it already. Some of it was really good, but it just would have been able to tweak it to that degree. So 
Um, I, I doubt you have much to say beyond what I said about the match itself. So we can yeah. kind of move, move on to the Raw side. And the main event was Drew McIntyre challenging for the WWE Championship against Randy Orton. We'll get to the match in a moment. There was a lot of lead in to it, right? So Monday on Raw, McIntyre opened the show. He barely mentioned Orton and goes right after Reigns on a promo, almost like he's a Diesel-style 90s babyface. Orton delivered a funny line about being fined and suspended longer than most people have even been in WWE, saying he's been able to do all of that and carry on because he's the greatest wrestler ever. That, that was will, a good line. That was a which, good he line. Will, which he will prove again in their match. The Miz and Morrison threatened to money in the bank cash in. The Miz mentioned The Fiend during the promo, who we didn't even see last week. So keeping that segment in mind, Chris, right? I wanted to go over from that point, WWE's booking options for Survivor Series coming out of those promos, not knowing what's left in the show. So you have to put yourself in that mindset. On one hand, they could have Randy Orton win the main event, right? It would be no unnecessary title change, but you're getting a heel versus heel match and you would have had a strong Orton taking a loss in a match that doesn't really matter to Roman Reigns. Option two, you put the title on Drew McIntyre. It diminishes Orton's recent title win. It also gives away a potential future WrestleMania or SummerSlam main event for Survivor Series with one week of build, but you're in for a hell of a match, Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre. And then the third option was The Miz, possibly cashing in Money in the Bank. It protects Orton, it protects McIntyre, gives Orton an excuse for losing, plus it gives Orton the chance to win the title back. But you've telegraphed the cash-in potentially over three weeks rather than make it a surprise and you even potentially um, telegraphed the method of the cash-in by talking about The Fiend. The Fiend could have taken out Orton. Miz could have run down and cashed in, basically ending the match while McIntyre was knocked out outside. Also, Miz versus Randy Orton, sorry, Miz versus Roman Reigns would have been the worst of the three options. Um, so really, no matter what WWE did here, I didn't necessarily think they had a great option. I thought there was a better option of the three, but not a great one. I, I think I think this is all fine. I think this all works. In terms of Drew Roman being a, a WrestleMania main event, I, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know what to expect from WrestleMania. Are we going to get The Rock? Is it going to be a Big E thing? I'm, I'm, I'm sure they have an idea. I, I don't think... They want to do Roman Drew now if they want to do Roman Drew for WrestleMania. I'm, 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 I'm more so saying, I'm not trying to say it would have been the WrestleMania 37 main event. What I'm trying to say is a match between Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns, the way they've been built, is the caliber of a WrestleMania or SummerSlam main event. For sure, for sure. And, and I, But I think that's okay in the situation because it is a cross-brand pay-per-view that like that's the point you you should want the man from each brand going against each other if that's going to be the point of this pay-per-view so i i think it i think it all worked i again i think the problem was not deciding this until i think probably a couple weeks ago uh but other than that given those options that you played out i i think this is the best option all right so let's get to the main event itself from raw they gave it a full 30 minute segment they actually technically stopped at 35 minutes left in the show went to commercial. Uh, so you know I love that. McIntyre ends up wearing the kilt. He brings out the Claymore, and I am sitting there rolling my eyes. But then he jams the Claymore in the stage 
and the pyro hits. And I gotta say, I kind of came around to it. Like that was a pretty sick moment. I popped huge for that. That's when I was yeah. like, oh, okay. Like this, this was a WrestleMania entrance. And it I, was. that's why I was okay with them telegraphing the way things played out because they treated this, they treated this Orton McIntyre match like it was a big deal. It started at like 9.20 my time. Uh, they they gave it almost almost 40 minutes from the begin. I mean, first McIntyre, the music hits and he's not coming out. And then you're like, oh, are they going to do some shenanigans? It's just right. going to be weird. And then he does. And you're like, oh, okay, it looks kind of weird. But when the sword goes in and the fire goes up, I popped huge for that. I was like, this is a this is a this is a moment. This is a big time entrance, a big fight feel. I loved it. I loved that entrance. I liked it better than Seth doing the 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 torch going down for the beast slayer thing in the ground. I thought this was an awesome, awesome entrance. One of the best I've seen in quite a while. And it came on a raw in the Thunderdome. Uh, I, I absolutely loved it. Got me really hyped up for this match. They treated it like a big deal from be, from the very beginning of Raw all the way up to the entrances. They did. Now, I do wonder, you know, is this going to be permanent where he's going to wear this every single week? I hope not. I hope it's like a I hope it's just like his big match look. You know? Me too. That's exactly what I, I hope it's his pay-per-view or title match move that he does this. But I also listen, it was really good move and good timing that Sheamus was able to give him a random Claymore that already had a special spot in the ramp. So that worked out great for Drew that that was able to happen. Anyway, uh, this did have a big fight feel, as you said. I, I did wish they kind of lowered the lights for the intros, but other than that, they made this a big deal. Like you said, they had the video package earlier. They promoted it for a week, by the way, and that is what I thought they should have done with the Rey Mysterio-Seth Rollins match. They got us invested in this match, and ultimately, they delivered. Orton completely dodged an early Claymore after a barrage of offense from McIntyre. He thought about taking a count out, but Adam Pierce comes out right away, says, no, 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 no count out, no disqualification. And then I'm starting to think, yeah, The Fiend's going to get involved, right? Like it's, it's going to be something where that stipulation factors into the finish, but good on them. It didn't. Orton, I mean, there were weapons and stuff, but they didn't have interference, which was great. Orton drilled a chair into McIntyre's fractured jaw. Then he used the steel steps on him. They backdropped each other onto the announce table a couple times. Orton dodged another Claymore as McIntyre flew over the announce table, which was a really cool spot. It reminded me of Braun dodging Roman's spear when he flew into the ambulance. Uh, there were a bunch of near falls, including a future shock DDT for a 2.8. McIntyre knocked Orton off the ring apron and he fell through a table. Orton countered the Claymore with his really sick power slam and then hit a couple draping DDTs. And then last but not least, McIntyre pushed out of the RKO and hit the Claymore to regain the title. So Chris, as you said, this match was absolutely fantastic. It was true pay-per-view quality on a television program. And WWE, to their credit, they only really gave us one commercial break during the action. The other one was a picture-in-picture. Picture, and they didn't really do much, and it was short. So they really laid it out really well. It was well-paced. It was well-booked. Everything was terrific about the match itself. Orton, at the end, even gave, I don't know if you saw McIntyre, like a pat on the ass after the pinfall as a congratulations. It was a certified banger. I don't know that you can really consider Randy Orton a big, meaty man, but... <laughs> big, meaty man slapping me. <laughs> That's what I want. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. 
All he wants is meat. That's what we got. We didn't get the shit. We didn't get the crap. We got two dudes beating the hell out of each other in a 30-minute Raw main event. They deserve a lot of credit for that. It was a great match. Yeah, I, I think it it kind of sums up a lot of this whole Survivor Series build in that if you kind of if you kind of just look past the beginning of why something's happening, like why these Survivor Series teams matter, why McIntyre is getting a title shot, the execution uh, has been terrific in, in, in so many aspects from so many different people on these things. Um, I, Raw should do something like this all the time. It doesn't have to be a a, a, a world title match, but like say you have a U.S. title match main event the show and you give it long entrances and stuff like that. Make these main events feel like main events uh, as opposed to just doing some sort of six-man tag to send somebody home or something like that. Like, you know, in terms of it's a three-hour show, sometimes you can tell they're having trouble filling time. Like, they fill plenty of time with entrances and video packages to build up this. You could you could do this all the time. Just, hey, we're having a big match this Monday and we're going to hype it up throughout the whole show. We're going to give them big entrances and do it and boom, you save time, you make the match feel better, you make the people involved feel bigger. Um, just when, when, when you put in the little, when you put in the effort to make something feel like a big deal, it always pays off. This was a awesome, awesome, awesome main event. And I, I, I think it, it, and it gets me excited for Survivor Series. So out of the three options I mentioned earlier, clearly they chose two, Drew McIntyre winning the title and going on to face Roman Reigns. It does cut down the gravity of Orton taking the championship off him in the first place. And as you kind of alluded to earlier, actually you didn't allude to it, you said it straight up. It really made it an even worse decision that they didn't change the title in the ambulance match. Because that was, again, the perfect spot for McIntyre to lose without actually losing, you know, getting pinned to Orton. And it would have given him a longer run with the title. And it would have made this moment for McIntyre even greater. Because if he loses the ambulance match, he still could have lost the match where he did lose ultimately the title to Orton. He still could have lost it the exact same way. Frustrated, dejected. Maybe Orton's taunting him. Who knows? But Orton got a couple tries. McIntyre gets a couple tries. And then he wins it back last week as opposed to this week ahead of Survivor Series. You then have two weeks of build for the Roman Reigns match, and that's what you need. So does Orton need the title? No, he's totally fine now that he doesn't have it. The match was well done. A 30-day title reign, it's not that uncommon in the history of world championships. You've seen it in WWE before, WCW. The NWA World Championship changed hands multiple times more frequently than that. To WWE's credit, Chris, I don't think that the champion, the WWE champions had long, shorter than like a three or four month reign since like 2016 or 2017. So it's been a long time since they've done a quick title change. So I think they deserve a little bit of credit for that. But ultimately we have McIntyre versus Reigns on a 10 days total build as the main event of Survivor Series. On one hand, I'm really excited about it because it's going to be an awesome match. On the other I just feel like this deserved more than it's actually getting. I, I agree, but especially as it relates to SmackDown, I, it's not like I feel like Roman's been sitting around doing nothing for the last month and he could have been doing this. Like He's still been 
doing great stuff with the Jey Uso story with Kevin Owens, with, with everything going on there with Daniel Bryan. So I don't feel like he was wasting time. So I, I, I think it's fine. I think what should have happened was Orton should have won the ambulance match. It was ridiculous that that uh, McIntyre got to win with all that interference from the legends. I, it, it was just kind of weird, but um and, and I'm fine with one month title feuds in general. I love, you know, go back to like 99, 2000 and it was changing hands all the time. And I, I'm fine with that. It's just, it's hard to ignore that this clearly was done just to like set up this one survivor series match. Again, you got to look past a couple of things in, in terms of why these things are happening. But I think in that vacuum, I think it's been great. I think we'll, we'll essentially have two weeks of build Toward McIntyre reigns if, if you if, if week and a half I guess if you give us we'll ten have, days we'll have ten two days, yeah we'll have two I assume two promos about it on SmackDown we had a great main event in between I think both I think this I think the storyline is hot going in you know I I it could could it have been more yeah but I'm really excited for it I think everybody's kind of hitting on all cylinders going into it so I'm not going to complain and say it should have been longer because maybe it could have dragged on I, I think I think it's been fine. Yeah, I'm not saying it's bad. I don't I don't want people to kind of come out of this thinking that I hate this match or I don't like that they did this. It's just ah uh, man, I want things built. You guys know like I, I'm not I'm not, I'm not necessarily a WWE perfectionist where I think they need to do everything exactly the way I want it, but I just want that additional level of effort and planning. It's the planning aspect of it that bothers me more than anything. Like, For sure. I feel like on that ambulance match, they didn't know what the main event of Survivor Series was going to be. And had they you would have to think that they would have booked it better than the way they did. So that's kind of how my mindset is. But going into this match, look, man, I, I played it earlier. It really, it deserves it here. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> this, is, this is the ultimate. This is your top guy on SmackDown and basically your top guy on Raw. Not the biggest guys in terms of size, but the biggest dudes, like the most important guy on each show right now going head-to-head -head in the main event of Survivor Series. So it's going to be a fantastic match. I think it's going to tear the house down. And yeah, we're going to give credit to the women. We're going to give credit to the tag team match. But this does come in as the favorite to be match of the night because it really should be. But I don't know how the hell you book this. <laughs> it seems like you cannot have Roman Reigns lose. No. How could you, given his booking since his return? But on the other side... Drew McIntyre just won back the WWE Championship. So how do you have him lose to Roman Reigns? I think fans are going to hate it. But I think you have to have some type of schmaz finish. You have to have Jey Uso get involved. Or you, you got to do something, the Fiend maybe, where Drew McIntyre has an excuse for losing to Roman Reigns. Because if you give us the match that we should be getting, Roman Reigns, Drew McIntyre, 1,000% clean, there's no way that you can have either of them really lose. But if I ultimately have to choose, whether it's by Schmaz or whether it's clean, Roman Reigns is going to win this match. Yes, Roman Reigns is going to win. I, I think you could get away with um, Roman winning clean. And then the storyline as, as McIntyre goes back to Raw is... Hey, Fiend's, Fiend is coming at you. Randy might be coming at you. Miz has money in the bank. How confident do you feel? Are you concerned about how long you're going to be able to hold the title this time? Kind of an, an uncertain 
a, a Drew who might be a little bit uncertain of himself. I, I think it's a story you could tell if you want Roman to, to come through looking clean. I, I think I think that would be fine because we we don't need. You know, McIntyre spent all summer as the dominant face champion. You know, I, I I don't think we need another one of those. He needs to have a different kind of championship reign this time around. And I think you could get away with with, with it being like everybody's coming at him, kind of like what we were just doing with, with Orton about so many different people. How confident is he? He can hold on to it. He's got to fight for his life to keep it. Um, that said, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I, I, I think they're going to want to keep both guys looking okay. So I expect something Jey Uso, Fiend, Miz maybe, mm-hmm. uh, something. I, I do expect it to be uh, called a, a, a schmas finish if you want or whatever. I do expect some sort of interference in some way, but ultimately I think Roman wins. I mean, something could happen where like they knock each other out and Miz like appears from under the ring apron and pins Drew. Or pins them both. <laughs> that becomes double champ. Um, pins Drew somehow, and but then you're talking about Drew having like a six day title reign, right? And then has to win it back. So now all of a sudden, inside of nine months, Drew's a three time champion. It's you know I just don't know what they're gonna do, but I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the match, if if Reigns does win and maybe beats the hell out of Drew, and it's a barn burner, right? So you know Drew is exhausted. Miz comes in and like. They do the thing where he tries to cash in and McIntyre hits him with a claymore, but he's unable to capitalize and he's exhausted. And, and, you know, maybe before that happens, Miz and Morrison have beaten him up a little bit. And then Miz recovers and hits the skull crushing finale and wins and takes the title. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Miz walks out of Survivor Series as champion, but I, I just hope that they don't. I really hope they treat this with the respect it deserves because Roman Reigns, Drew McIntyre is a crazy big match in WWE. It really is the match right now. I mean, I know we've talked about it. We want Roman Reigns, the Rock at WrestleMania, if they go down that storyline. If it's not that, we want Big E to win the Royal Rumble and fight Roman and beat him for the title at WrestleMania. Those are the things that we want to happen. But Drew McIntyre against Roman Reigns is a big money match. It is a match that you can build because they can both talk. They're both huge. Uh, Drew is really working in this babyface role, even if it's corny occasionally. Roman, more than he ever has, is working in this heel role. So it just does feel like they're kind of giving something away unnecessarily in a situation where it's not for the stakes that we want it to be for. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I mean, if we if we had more faith in WWE just like letting guys get clean wins and losses and like, it just being okay, like the way I think AEW handles that pretty well. Maybe we'd expect something different. But, you know, I, I, I want these guys to get a showcase. That's clearly why they wanted to do this. Again, I would love for a straight-up one-on-one clean match, Roman wins, and, and you move forward. I just don't have faith that they will do that. But you got to give them more than enough time to shine between the two of these guys, I, I think, because that's kind of the point of this. And in they can have a great long match and then you can give it to us again in a couple months. We'll be okay with it. Like, it's not like, you know, you don't need to space this stuff out. So, I mean, look, yeah. if they run this, if they run this back at SummerSlam 2021, that would be fine. No, nothing good. Yeah. Nothing will get us more excited for a rematch than if they have a great one-on-one match. True. <laughs> like, it's not like you need to, you don't need to have drama. Oh, someone 
didn't win clean. So that's the storyline going into the next one. No, just like, again, th- that's why another reason why I'm okay with this matchup is because I, I said it about the men's Survivor Series team. I kind of felt like I wanted them to be like, have been just, they're hot going into the match. Roman and Drew are both hot coming into this match. And I, yeah. I, I think you, I, I think that's all you need. You know, you don't need to do too much bells and whistles with other stuff. I don't know how they're going to end this match. I, I just think there's a lot of ways they could do it right. And I just hope they do it. So we're basically, based on our predictions, we're almost predicting, although I, I think I gave SmackDown the win because I have Sasha, but more than anything, you have it 3-3. Uh, and I think that's probably how it's going to wind up with Raw and SmackDown tying, if they even do a count at the end of this entire thing. But I, I, I don't want people to misunderstand. I'm not trying to be pessimistic and I'm not trying to kind of rain on any parade. I'm really excited for this match. And I'm actually pretty excited for the pay-per-view because I think the matches are going to bang. But, you know, it's just one of those things where I, I see something, I see the potential in something. And my thought is, man, they really could have knocked it out of the park. And instead, it's, you know, going to be really good, but it maybe had that potential to be great. And especially from a build standpoint, it's where I saw a little hole in WWE's development of this entire thing. Like we mentioned, Orton gets the title earlier. They start this a little, you know, they, they have Drew win it back a little bit earlier. They start the storyline a little bit earlier. And now there's really nothing to even mention as a hiccup. But ultimately, this main event's going to be great. Now, Chris, we talked about all the matches and we will certainly give our expectations for what we think Survivor Series will deliver to us in a moment. But there is one other thing that's been promoted for Survivor Series that we would be remiss not to mention again, even though we kind of did uh, on a recent podcast. And that is the official final farewell for The Undertaker. So Survivor Series, as we noted, is 30 years to the day of The Undertaker's debut, which came at Survivor Series. We talked previously on this podcast months ago about the special that they had, the the entire series on WWE Network, and whether that resulted in his retirement, whether the match at WrestleMania would ultimately be his final match, the one with AJ Styles in the Boneyard match. And, you know, we did already kind of speak at length about what we would like to see happen from The Undertaker here. Now, we should probably talk about what we expect to happen. The only thing I do know, and it's been reported out there, it's not really a spoiler by any means, is a lot of his former foes and friends from his WWE career are going to be at Survivor Series. So like the Godfather is going to be there and a couple other people, presumably for a final farewell, which again, I don't really feel like that's much of a spoiler because in a final farewell, you expect the wrestlers in the business to say goodbye to you. But other than that, I think the situation and the storyline idea, the booking idea that I laid out on our prior show is what's going to happen here. I just don't see a scenario where the final time we see Mark Calloway as the Undertaker, maybe we'll see him in the future as Mark Calloway, you know, doing commentary and doing certain things, uh, special appearances and stuff. But the last time seeing the Undertaker, I just don't see that happening without him putting over someone on his way out because he is a veteran of the business. A lot of those little things mean a lot to him. He always preaches about work rate and about putting people over and going out on your back. And I don't know how he could end his career beating AJ Styles, who certainly didn't need him to put him over, 
but not going out on his back in some way. So I do bring it down to this. I think they do the final farewell. Everyone says goodbye. It's a tearjerker, maybe a little bit. And The Undertaker is left alone in the ring saying his final goodbyes, removing his hat, taking off his gloves like he did at WrestleMania a couple years ago. And I think The Fiend's music hits. And I think The Fiend shows up and The Undertaker chokeslams him. And I think he probably hits a tombstone pile driver as well. And then I think The Fiend both times pops right up, locks in the mandible claw, takes The Undertaker out. And The Fiend is the one who stands on top at Survivor Series. If they don't do it, in my opinion, at least, it's a huge wasted opportunity. And I don't think The Undertaker going out would make a lot of sense if someone's not there to ultimately take him out. So that's what my hope is. And honestly, that's kind of what my expectation is. I don't know if a segment of The Undertaker waving goodbye to everyone would disappoint me because still it'd be nice to see him for a final time. But I do have high expectations that WWE is going to get this right in the end. Yeah, I, I think everything you laid out would work. I just do not want a situation where it's like, oh, Eric Rowan comes out to interfere and he chokeslams him and that's the end. And yeah, no, that's not how the Undertaker should go out. I agree it should go out like The Fiend. The way I want it to go out, though, is I want it to go out cinematically. We, we had the Boneyard match. We had the Firefly Funhouse match at WrestleMania. Give me something really supernatural and spooky where The Fiend is just like snatching up the Undertaker's soul and the only thing that's left. They do some weird Funhouse mirror stuff like, like you did with John Cena. And at the end, he, the, the Undertaker has been disappeared and all you see is his hat and his hat's left in the ring and that's it. And that's the last thing we get of him. I would love that. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to do it the way you said it. But man, I would love if they just went all in on the spooky supernatural stuff. They, 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 they took advantage that we've seen that they have with the cinematic stuff and really made it like fun and spooky and, and honestly scary. You know, you could do something like that. I think there's a big opportunity to do something here. I don't think they take that risk. I think they probably do what you said, but I think there's, I think they could do some fun things. They could do something cool if they went cinematic and you kind of mentioned it, have the Undertaker's soul leave his body, but rather than him disappear, you like, when you come back to him in the ring, it's the like American badass Undertaker <laughs> or it's Mark Calloway. So like the soul of the Undertaker is gone. That's what you said the final farewell to. But this guy is still around who, again, if they want him to do, you know, like sometimes they'll, they'll talk about a big match for WrestleMania. They'll have the old schoolers like Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels pop on and give their picks. Like you still want The Undertaker involved in WWE some way. So if you want that character to be gone, that would be a good way to take the character out of the man and allow the man to still be involved in WWE, not in matches and stuff, but in the Hall of Fame stuff, show up at certain things and and kind of be a legend. Because I don't see any way that The Undertaker is going to separate from WWE in terms of like a legends contract. I think he's going to be signed there for as long as he wants to be, as long as he wants to make money. I think Vince will pay him. So that is, I think one of the two, either option is really good, but at least we're in agreement that the final farewell to The Undertaker on a pay-per-view can't be really what they did for Ric Flair. You have to remember, you know, he lost to Sean and then he showed up on Raw the next night and Triple H was there and they all cried and mm -hmm. Flair waved goodbye. That was sentimental. That was touching. That was an old man, you know, 
ha- having his final wrestling appearance in WWE. The Undertaker is way different than Ric Flair from a character standpoint. You need to retire The Undertaker, just like you retired Ric Flair by Shawn Michaels beating him. And considering that moment hasn't happened, I think it would be a really big mistake to not have that moment happen. Here, it's a good way to do it without him losing a match. It's just him doing the job, really, for a younger talent. And The Fiend needs to be that heir apparent. Bray Wyatt needs to be that heir apparent. And and I think... I, I think he's earned it too. You know, originally kind of maybe Roman was the guy who was going to put, put out the undertaker and that didn't really work. The last match was, was not great. Um, you, you bring it back. I think again, as I mentioned earlier, the fact that this fiend firefly finals thing has been going on more than a year. We know we've seen years and years of Bray Wyatt. We know he's a true talent uh, with not only a bright future, but a bright present. And he, he is one of the most talented guys in the company. Uh, he, he, I think he has earned the right to kind of take that mantle as the spooky guy from The Undertaker. I do think Survivor Series is going to be really good, Chris. Uh, let's go into it. Pre-show expectation. What kind of grade are you giving? What kind of grade are you expecting to give the show by the time it's over? I have high expectations. I The highest expectations I've had in quite a while. I mean... Because maybe, the last few have over-delivered. They have. They have. And, yeah. and, they've been, and again, this is only a six-match card. They've generally been shorter cards, although it's going to have two long tag elimination matches. So it'll be longer than we've had in quite a while, probably since SummerSlam. But I, I honestly, I'm probably looking forward to this more for any pay-per-view since, um, since uh, WrestleMania. Honestly, I, 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 really? I, Interesting. I, have, okay. I have probably a minus expectations for this. I, I, I think it's generally been set up well. It could have been set up better, especially some of them. Yeah, but I think you've got and we just laid it out again. We've got the man against the, the man against the man. They're both hot coming in. The main event is obviously always what kind of is, is your lasting impression of these things. So I've got pretty high expectations. I say I say a minus. I think that's probably fair. I'm right in that A minus B plus range. I expect a very good show. Again, the last four WWE pay-per-views that we have covered and reviewed have gotten extremely high marks, not just from us, but from the listeners, the people who vote in our Twitter poll at Getting Overcast on Twitter. We will do a pre-show poll where you can set your expectation and a post-show poll where you can tell us exactly what you thought, A, B, C, D, F, whatever your grade for the pay-per-view. Uh, but I mean, the last one, Hell in a Cell, I think we both came in with relatively low expectations because only three of the matches were built up in any meaningful way. And that's still, uh, I think it was 91, 92% of respondents thought it was an A or a B with 35%, one third, thinking it was an A. And that is not has not been uncommon for the last, for the three WWE shows that preceded it. So WWE, you can say what you want about some of their storytelling and, and some of their booking decisions. They have really been delivering high-quality pay-per-views, and that's what I expect once again Sunday from Survivor Series. And not only should you expect a high-quality pay-per-view on Sunday, you should expect a high-quality WWE Survivor Series instant analysis podcast because that's what the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast does every single time as soon as pay-per-views go off the air. So very late Sunday night, or if you go to sleep, first thing Monday morning, be sure to hit our feed or follow us at Getting Overcast and listen to our instant analysis. It is a tough, tight turnaround because Raw obviously is Monday night. So you want to listen to it 
Sunday or Monday. Then you have Raw. We'll be back Tuesday with a WWE wrap-up. We'll talk about things that happened on SmackDown that don't factor into Survivor Series and everything new that happens on Raw coming out of it. Of course, our next show isn't that instant analysis. This Thursday, the Silver King will be breaking down everything that happens from NXT and AEW. But then, yes, on Sunday, that is that instant analysis. And the following Tuesday, we will have another WWE episode. As I mentioned, the month of December is going to be absolutely stacked on this program. We have a very special 100th episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast coming your way. We also have some big time interviews already booked. We have our year-end awards of which you guys will be able to vote and contribute from a nominee standpoint and for the final award standpoint. Very excited. We still need a name for those awards. I got one, no offense to who the person that sent it, didn't necessarily love it, uh, but please send in some, some potential names for the awards on this show. We need to come up with that before we actually do the award show. And, you know, there's a lot to come. Like I said, very excited to have you all with us as we move into the final month of 2020. And the first, it's not even a full calendar year. The show did start in March, but we'll kind of call it the first season of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast as we hit that 100th episode. So thank you all once again for listening again. Follow us at Getting Overcast. You can follow Chris at Chris Vanini. You can follow me at Silverstein Adam. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us those five-star ratings and reviews. Need them. Every single time you drop them, we bump up in the ratings. More people start listening to the show. It's good things for the Getting Over universe. That's all the Silver King has to say. That means there's one more person that needs to say goodbye. Twilight Zone, yeah. And Hulk Hogan's got the chance because he Does anybody have a chance because of Macho Man Randy Savage? And one of the greatest wrestlers in the past, present, and future that ever went. Okay, say goodbye. Say goodbye. Okay, get out of here. That's a little rough, Randy. Yeah, it is rough. Yeah, this thing is a rough sport. And I'm the roughest one in the sport. I am the number one wrestler in the world. And thank you all for listening. We will see you Thursday and then Sunday night. Bye for now. <laughs>